everybody and welcome to the third series of the Unofficial Guide to Medicine podcast. My name is Shweta and this month we'll be discussing all things psychiatry. Thank you for joining us. To kick off this series, we have Dr. Julie Hankin, a consultant psychiatrist in Nottingham and the Executive Medical Director of the Nottinghamshire Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust. She's passionate about medical education, bringing this into her role as Honorary Professor at the University of Nottingham. And to top it all off, Dr. Hankin is also a long-standing mentor on the Psych Start Scheme, which is a first-of-its-kind mentoring scheme for medical students interested in psychiatry. With all this experience behind her, I'm so excited to bring her expertise to all of you. On today's episode, we'll be talking about a typical day in the life of a consultant psychiatrist. So let's dive in, starting bright and early. So what does a typical morning routine look like for you? So before coming into work, I think probably a lot easier now because I don't have small children anymore to deal with in that. So historically, it would have been very focused around that for a fair while. I think for me personally, I like to have some time in the morning. So I tend to get up a bit earlier so that I've got time to actually get into the day a bit slower and think through what's coming. And I suppose that's a bit about preparing for a day at work. It's that chance to actually look at the diary and work out where particular difficulties are going to come or where you might need a bit more preparation. And I think that probably applies whether in my current job as medical director or when I was a a day-to-day psychiatrist on the ward. The days tend to be very, very varied, almost never in the same place doing the same thing two days in a row. So it does just need that time to work out where you're going to be and plan it all out. Right, so having a bit of like a meditation moment before you... Yeah. To, to sort of breeze through your day, think about things. Absolutely. All right. Okay. So we've got you to work. Speaking of work, <laughs> um, what kind of hours do you typically do? And do you think that warrants sort of a decent work-life balance? Ooh, so I suppose now I tend to do probably from about eight to about half six. That's working as medical director, which I think is probably on the edge of work-life balance. But but probably what you end up doing in this this role, just because that's the amount of stuff flying in at you. If I think back to when I was working as a consultant, the day formally tends to start at nine. It was relatively rare to have much booked in, but I would always tend to be in the office from about half eight, because I like having a chance to get into emails and other things and just get ahead of myself. But probably finishing the day, it it would vary depending on what I'd been doing. So if it was a booked clinic, if it was running to time, then I would expect to be finishing by about five. But psychiatry patients tend to be quite hard to predict. So you always have to allow that there may be one or two that just take that additional time and you end up giving it. At the same time, when I was working all the time as a jobbing consultant, I had small children and I had to be back to pick them up and managed to make that work, that you set your days and made sure the team understood that was when you had to leave. And it it was always workable one way or another. Of course. All right. Okay. So speaking of work-life balance, do you have any interesting hobbies outside of medicine? Well, I think they're interesting. Whether other people think they're interesting is another matter. Um, so I do fused glasswork, which is, oh, okay. so rather than stained glass where you piece it all together, it's you put it together and then put it in a huge kiln and melt everything. Oh, that's so cool. How long have you been doing that? 
about four or five years now. So when I moved up to Nottingham, my family was still in Somerset. So for a little while, I was looking for things that were work-life balance and not just work into the evening because I didn't have anything else on. So I went to some classes on it and got absolutely hooked. So does that take the edge off of work then? Yeah, it's something to really think about. And it, it's good for me because I don't have an awful lot of patience a lot of the time. And you do have to put it in the kiln and leave it for about 12 hours before you get to see what's happened. And anything could have happened, not necessarily what you planned. But also every so often you're breaking up big sheets of glass with a hammer into lots of little pieces. And that really is quite cathartic. We've had a chat about the life part of work-life balance. So talking about the work part of work-life balance, I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit about what you see day in and day out. So obviously keeping, you know, confidentiality and things in mind, what kind mm-hmm. of cases do you typically deal with at consultant level in psychiatry? So I think it varies a lot depending on what you're working at. So if I think about the various different jobs I've had, because I've moved across a lot of the jobs in general adult psychiatry. So when I was working as a community psychiatrist, it honestly could be pretty much anything. So a large part of the work tends to be working with people with depression, with anxiety, but equally a lot of people with quite chronic psychosis or bipolar disorder and quite a variety of people that you're working with on a more long-term basis to keep them well and to build a relationship and other people where it may be that you only see them when they're very acutely unwell. And I think for me, that was always part of the enjoyment of psychiatry, that you could build those long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. So particularly when I was working as a community psychiatrist, a lot of the patients coming into my outpatient clinic, for example, I would have known through several episodes of illness. So I could usually judge just from the waiting room how people were. Mm -hmm. The opposite end of that was then I worked for a while as a crisis consultant. So really only getting involved when people were really at that point of real crisis, real acute illness. And again, very much a lot around depression, suicide, thoughts, actions, self-harm, personality disorder, but a lot of psychosis as well. And I think for me, that's always been one of the appeals of psychiatry is how much variety there is. And also a fair number of patients where it's much harder to necessarily put labels onto it. So diagnosis in psychiatry is a whole sort of two-day conference on its own, because obviously it doesn't link back to clear pathological issues in the same way as diagnosis in a lot of specialties. So a lot of times what you're trying to do is pick apart a really complex life situation where somebody may have had problems in their employment, their family. It may be illness, but it also may be illness that's being aggravated by other things. And you have to look at that whole web of family, of relationships, of employment, what are their responsibilities and how do they do it. So it, it really needs a lot of both thought but also careful pulling apart of just what's going on for somebody and that may take time because people rarely come in and share some of the most painful things going on in their lives with a total stranger so you're very much always using yourself as your your therapeutic and diagnostic tool to try and make that connection make a relationship be able to have those conversations 
Okay, so you mentioned variety and long-term relationships as things that you enjoy about your job. What would you say is the best part of your day? And on and the flip side, I guess, would you consider to be then the most challenging aspects of your job? Um, so in some ways, I suppose it's probably both the same thing. So I think for me, the best part was always being actually with patients mm-hmm. and engaged with patients. And particularly, there's a real joy to seeing somebody getting really well who you were looking after when they were really ill and actually seeing what can be just an incredible transformation. So a patient who may have come in pretty much catatonic, unable to speak, talk, eat, walking out, laughing, joking, going back to work. That, that really is an incredible feeling to be able to feel that you've, you've contributed to that. On the flip side, some of the most challenging bits are probably really difficult conversations with patients, particularly when you're, you're having to impose something that they may not see. So, for example, I spent a lot of time working in assertive outreach, which particularly works with patients with very chronic psychosis. And often part of that picture is that they don't have insight into the fact that they are unwell at all. So trying to explain why you're detaining somebody into hospital or why you're enforcing medication when they're already very distressed and upset can be a really difficult and challenging conversation. I think it doesn't mean it, you can't do it or that there aren't ways of doing that in a really measured, compassionate, caring way, but it's challenging. And that's why we tend to build into psychiatry a lot of supervision both peer supervision and senior supervision so that there's always somebody to talk through some of those issues and conversations with of course i can imagine i think as you know as a student who's gone through my psychiatry rotation at uni i think one of the hardest parts but definitely i think one of the best learning points as well was being able to have those difficult conversations learning how to do that and I think that's a very transferable skill into other parts of medicine as well. No and not just medicine in terms of patients. I, it's definitely learning that I pull on in my role now as a medical manager, whether working with fellow medics or in into of, boards, yeah. other systems. It doesn't always feel that different. Of course, yeah. In the, in the larger context of life as well, I think those communication skills come yeah. handy. To round off this episode, last question, just a bit of a fun one. If you could change one thing about your day-to-day life as a psychiatrist, what would it be? (laughs) Um, I think probably I and all of my colleagues would say more time. I think certainly over the years, and I'm sure this is the case in all specialties, the, the demands have gone up and... I suppose it never used to feel particularly calm and lots of times back at the start, but you look back thinking, oh, that was nice when I had enough time too. So I think probably it is that how do we build back more time to actually spend in those conversations with patients because they can't be rushed. If you rush them, you miss things. And I suppose that's now become a lot of my job in terms of medical director side is working to say, how do we shift medical jobs back to that so that we really protect that face-to-face patient contact and conversation and don't end up just being pushed into activity for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for indulging us. Thank Uh, you.
you've definitely given a lot of us a deeper insight into what's otherwise an underrepresented career. And we're excited to have you back next week for another episode. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We've got three more episodes featuring Dr. Hankin, so make sure you tune in next week to learn more about training pathways and how to get to where Dr. Hankin is today. In the meantime, keep up to date with us on our social media. And if you'd like to learn more about Psych Start, follow them on Twitter at psych underscore start. See you next week.